Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA, and in so doing, also to glean wisdom uh, from men with ministry experience for young and aspiring pastors. My name is Joe Smith. I'm one of your co-hosts, pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. My name is Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in the Promised Land of North Marion, Indiana. And our guest today on the Blue Banter podcast is Brian Schneider, the pastor of Sharon Reformed Presbyterian Church in Morning Sun, Iowa. Brian, thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I got a question for you here. So Morning Sun, Iowa, is that because Sunrise, Iowa was taken? <laughs> uh, no, it's because everyone should visit Morning Sun and okay. see the amazing sunrises. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's honestly like uh, I grew up in Southern California and living here, and especially after coming from Pittsburgh, the land of dreary clouds all the mm-hmm. time. Preach. Uh, the, <laughs> the land of sunrises and sunsets. I mean, I, I talk about it in the sermons regularly. I pray thanking the Lord for it and worship. I mean, it, it's gorgeous mm-hmm. seeing the sun rise up over the fields. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling you, the Midwest is, uh, I think, some of the most uh, beautiful landscape we have in our country. And yeah. I'm biased. I recognize that. But uh yeah, when you kind of uh, you're in Pittsburgh for a while, uh, you just feel kind of claustrophobic. And you know, Pennsylvania's got its own beauty, but oh, yeah. uh, you just don't get the sunrises and the sunsets that you do in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if there's like one beautiful sunrise or sunset in Pittsburgh, like everybody's Facebook mm-hmm. like blows yeah. up with it or Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's because they're so rare. Where uh-huh. out here, if you're like, oh, did you see that sunrise? People are like, yeah, it was a Tuesday. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I do think uh, Pennsylvania in the fall, they might have us on the beauty there um, yeah. with all the hills yeah. and the colors of the trees and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Out, out here, you know, we get the trees, uh, the fall colors come for, oh, probably about two days and then it rains and the wind blows and it's gone. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Nice. Well, you know, Morning Sun, uh, it's a small little town, um, which kind of leads us into our, our first question here. So. You know, Joe was sending you this question, and I think he playfully put that uh, you and Kyle Borg are both kind of rivals for the uh, rural church um, guru type of a pastor and everything. So um, we won't really touch into that rivalry. We'll let you guys uh, work that out on your own. Um, I just know Kyle's wrong. That's all. <laughs> well, uh, as you consider kind of the idea of being a uh, pastor in uh, rural Midwest, what are some things that you really love about being a pastor in rural ministry? What are maybe some challenges? And then what would be something you might say to a, a seminary student who has a call from a congregation in a rural area? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's, especially as a young guy coming uh, into the RP church, uh, many of our rural congregations are legacy churches. You know, they've been in the denomination for, I mean, Sharon, when I came here, had been uh, a congregation for 170 years. Um, they knew what they mm. were doing. They had their identity, um, you know, lots and lots of roots uh, to old school covenanterism. And so, I mean, rural ministry is is really going to most of the time legacy type congregations. And I see that. So Micah Ramsey is uh, my mentor, Mm -hmm. uh, one of my Mm -hmm. best friends, you know, and uh, he was giving me some really good advice coming out of seminary. And he was just like, you you need to go where there's elders who have been elders a long time. Uh, And so, I mean, like John Smith, the clerk of our session has been an elder for 50 years. Mm. 
uh, I mean, like, almost twice as long as I've been alive. You know? mm-hmm. so I, like, he, he's in, he's incredible. And there's a wealth of wisdom and leadership there. And then uh, Jim Pilling, another one of our ruling elders, was elected the year before I was born. Uh, so, I mean, just, yeah. So, so coming into a, for a young guy coming into a rural church is coming into a long story. Uh, and so that, that has all sorts of blessings, you know, because people are excited when young people come, people are excited when new people come. Um, there's lots of just, you know, we moved hundreds and hundreds of miles away from our family. And so really our church family really brought us in, uh, welcomed us in with open arms, you know, uh, took care of our children. Uh, you know, those, we, Olivia and I go to a conference once a year that the church sends us to, and they watch our kids for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just really, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's just a sweet, uh, loving nature of the church. Um, and it's not just the ruling elders too. I mean, it's the deacons as well. Yeah. It, it that, that, that part of rural ministries, it's just wonderful. You know, you get to step into something that, you know, you didn't create, mm-hmm. you're there mm-hmm. not as a curator, but you're, 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 you're not holding on to the past, but you're stepping into a long story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a guy who likes old stories. So that, that's, it's good, you know, um, and not to mention, you know, if a guy is considering uh, rural ministry, I mean, <laughs> uh, I tell people that Iowa is one of the last bastions of freedom. You know, uh, there's a lot of things you can get away with uh, mm-hmm. in in the rural. So our address says Morning Sun, but you have to drive down three miles of gravel past mm-hmm. Morning Sun to get to our church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, our house is about a mile away from here in the country. And I mean... There's, there aren't people looking over my shoulder or breathing down my neck. You know, if if my kids are running around outside at one o'clock in the afternoon, nobody's sitting there scratching their head. What are those kids doing? You know, mm-hmm. well, part of that is just my reputation. They they know that you know, it's probably <laughs> probably Schneider kids get into trouble. Yeah. Uh, uh, they're they're just as adventurous as their dad. But I mean, like even even just you know being able to go hunting or being mm-hmm. able to go on walks with the family. There's a creek a half mile from the house and letting the kids, you know, they want to go to the creek. Great. Take the walkie talkie. Call us if uh, if somebody's bleeding, you know, um, there's uh, we get to have chickens and guineas and a dog. And uh, it's, you know, uh, I get made fun of by the farmers because of the trouble I'm getting into getting stuck on dirt roads and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and, and a small community, too. I mean, morning sun is only about 600 people on a good day. Mm-hmm. And uh like 4th of July, I mean, the sense of patriotism uh, and community, this town swells up to like 5,000 people mm. and they have a flower show and a parade and you know, frog races. This is legitimately on <laughs> nice. the 3rd of July. You go hunt frogs and you see who can, whose kid can get the frog that will jump furthest into two jumps. Um, and a huge fireworks displays. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, People love their community and they love where they live. Hardworking, really, really, really hardworking people. Um, it's not unusual for the farmers in, in the spring and especially in the harvest that they're pulling 80 hour days. Um, and uh, I just, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I just love the rural country. I love being around people who uh, kind of don't, don't get me wrong. It's not that people aren't busy. It's just they seem to prioritize things a little bit better for the most part. We still got mm-hmm. our problems. I don't want to paint it like utopia. You know, there's still 
the opioid academic mm-hmm. epidemic is still alive and raging around here today but um you know it's uh there's ministry opportunities but there's it's just a different culture like i said i was raised in southern california uh, i went to colorado springs uh, in the springtime for a little bit of vacation and preaching and I was just overwhelmed by like signs and people and stuff everywhere. And I was like, man, I want to go where there's cornfields again, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, uh, mm-hmm. just, just, just more low key. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, if anybody's considering rural, I mean, especially if you got a young family, it is an amazing place to raise, to raise family and really get to, especially as a young pastor too. again, get plugged into a church that has strong, long-lasting ruling elders and deacons uh, that are able to mentor you and work with you. And um, so that's kind of like what I would say, all the good stuff, things that I love about rural ministry challenges though, are like, uh, we've been here five years and I feel like I'm just now breaking into the community. I mean, like if uh, in cities, people come, people go back and forth, you know, uh, it's pretty transient whether uh, we were in Pittsburgh or when we lived north of Chicago and we were members at Westminster, mm-hmm. there's just a, 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 people are moving. We're here. I mean, it's like people have lived here their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Their parents lived here. Their grandparents lived here. And a caution that one person told me is don't expect that somehow you're just going to show up in a month. You're going to be friends. You know, they, they made friends with their schoolmates for 12 years and then they were kind of the remnant who stayed as well and rural depopulation is another mm-hmm. real thing with that you know, uh, big ag uh, means farmers have gotten more and more land you need less and less farmers so you know uh, it's a real privilege for us to even get to live in the country there's not many houses available left um and so that's kind of a, a difficulty baked in and of itself is uh there's just by the nature of it, we're a commuter church. There's about nine core families that live within a few miles of the church um, in the country. And then you get further and further out and it's kind of like an hour and a half spread right. in almost any direction. Um, well, not to the, not to the East cause you hit the Mississippi river. So <laughs> not that direction, but then another thing with going to a rural church, again, it's a, most of them are legacy congregations is uh, you, some people might need to equate that with the fact that it, we came here and it was a revitalization work. You know, there's uh, there were around 30 people, 35 people on average at worship mm. when we came. Uh, and uh, <laughs> there's a really sweet couple in the church and they were joking around. Uh, they were uh, in their late fifties and they talked about being the young people, the kids mm. at church, mm. you know, um, but I would, I would, right. Church revitalization is fun. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember mm-hmm. listening to Mark Dever when we first, when I first got here, I was listening to a podcast and somebody asked him, they just said, Hey, you know, I, I'm going to become the pastor at this church. You know, it's revitalization. What should I do? And he said, you know what you should do for the first three years? You should just encourage them, mm-hmm. just encourage them. Mm-hmm. And if you can't encourage them for three years, go sell pizzas or something. <laughs> and I was just like, that's a good point, right? So, I mean, the congregation has an identity, right? Jesus Christ established this church for a reason. He's allowed it to exist for this long. And so honoring that legacy, honoring that ministry, honoring honoring that history, right? becoming familiar with that history. I've tried to read my eyeballs through about like everything printed on Sharon I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
getting to know the families and their connections to the, to the past and uh, just really encouraging them for their faithfulness. Uh, and, and so kind of building that friendship and trust and base to then, okay, but the Lord's not done with us. Mm-hmm. So, so now, now where's the Lord taking us? Uh, and so, uh, yeah. And, and so that way it's just, just like building the connections in a small community. You got to be patient and build mm-hmm. people. People out here can tell superficialness from when you actually want to know them as people. Um, occupationally, what's uh, the congregation kind of made up of? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple farmers in the congregation, a couple school teachers. Um, there are uh, a police officer, factory workers, um, lots, lots of stay at home, homeschooling moms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're working at double duty. Yep. Um, yep. And then, uh, you know, people who work in the healthcare industry, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Joe, you got anything else on the uh, rural ministry? No, I think that I think that touched on it, and he he came out pretty bold and established victory and dominance over Kyle Borg, and so I think uh, I think <laughs> well, we see, settled. See, see, Kyle Borg, in all reality, Kyle Borg is a small town pastor in a rural area. So there's there's a difference, right? He, he's he's got a gas station across the street from his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right. I'm just I'm just saying he he lives on the blacktop. I'm, is, is that really rural? I mean, yeah. No, that's you know, where, good. Where, where I'm at, stop signs are optional in the winter. It's, it's yeah. Still... <laughs> I think you win. I think uh, you win. I think it's yeah. clear. Well, no, that you that... written down in history forever with yeah. a red pen. <laughs> No, that's good. No, yeah, you you mentioned as you were talking there that that you've been at Sharon for five years now, and and um, so I have I've had conversations with before with men like Keith Evans, David Whitla. I think Keith Evans has mentioned George Gregory when we've had these conversations, and it seems to be like in in what these men have pointed out is around that three to five year mark is when you kind of start to hit your stride in ministry. You're, you and your congregation are well past uh, the honeymoon period. You're really starting to get plugged in with people, so on and so forth. And so you're right there, but also it's one of those deals where you're still relatively speaking fresh out of seminary. And so a lot of these things from seminary are still fresh on your mind and what seminary was and your experience at seminary and your connections and all of that. So, so as we were thinking through questions to ask you, uh, you're kind of in a unique position with the freshness of seminary in mind, and yet enough experience to where you're kind of past where Aaron and I are of, of just being total rookies and at least starting to get into the flow of things. Just kind of curious, um, speaking to guys perhaps in seminary, just your thoughts on this idea of, you know, seminary gives you the tools um, and instructs you in the what, but a lot of the artistry of pastoral ministry and applying those tools and a lot of the things like there's a sense, right, in which um, seminary does prepare you for ministry. And then there's another sense in when you, which you could say it doesn't because there's a lot of real life things that you just can't. It just can't. And it's not the duty of the seminary to prepare you for those things. So mm-hmm. just what what can guys in seminary expect? ministry to look like in those first few years, like maybe that transition period of coming out of seminary, your toolbox is full, but now you're, you're, you're in the shop. Now you're, you're, you're in the shop and there's cars rolling in 
and you got to work on them. And, and, you know, there's cars where a guy hadn't changed his oil for three years. Well, in, in shop class, you didn't deal with that. Right. And, and so, you know, the basics of changing oil, et cetera, but there's all these other problems. And so it was one of those questions where I was trying to give to you and, and I hope it's at least getting at, and I'm sure however you answer it will be edifying and you get the gist of what I'm getting at, but what just does the application of the tools of seminary look like in ministry? What are some of those things that you're like, man, I wasn't ready for that. I mean, they gave me the tools, but again, this guy hadn't changed his oil in three years and now there's a mess I got to mm. deal with and kind of all of those things. Um, so what can guys in seminary expect as far as the application of their tools kind of out in the field? Real quick before you answer that, Joseph, yeah. is uh, shepherding visits, is that code name for changing oil or changing oil code name for shepherding visits for you guys there in uh, Westminster? <laughs> Not at all. No, Not that's at a, all. That, a, that's that an interesting illustration there. Popped into my head. <laughs> all right, sorry. <laughs> go, go ahead, Brian. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's good. Um so I'm going to take this direction something differently than what I had written down because I think what you're looking for uh, is um, what what are the growing pains as yeah. you come out of seminary, yep. um, and I would say um, realizing that you're never going to have all the answers or all the resources. Sure. Right, like you, you come out of seminary and you have a certain amount of theological knowledge, but a lack of wisdom and application. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, you know, I find myself regularly like, oh man, I need to read this book on this counseling topic, or I need to uh, ask a mentor about this situation. You know, uh, I was really purposeful uh, when I first came out of seminary for the first two years um, I had four different mentors that I would call on a monthly basis. Uh, so Ken Smith, Wade Mann, um, uh, Bill Roberts, and Micah Ramsey. And I would just have phone calls with them and talk of, with them about, hey, this is what's going on. How, what, how, how would you suggest? You know, uh, and each one of those guys have different gifts in different areas, you know. And so being able to bounce ideas off them and get, get their perspective. I didn't always agree with them, you know, but... Um, you really need to surround yourself with a team of experienced mentors. And I, I mean, I think also enlisting your ruling elders in this too is good. Uh, that was another piece of really good advice that somebody gave me was uh, develop friendships with the ruling elders right right away. I mean, so like we'd go out, uh, have lunch, spend time with them and really lean on them for like, hey guys, this is what's going on in this situation you know, and they sometimes they'd be able to give me background from, oh yeah, this started 25 years ago, and it was like, oh, okay, there's a lot of stuff to work mm -hmm. through with this, and so I mean, guys should give themselves over to their studies in seminary, right? They they really should you know, t take BB Warfield's advice. You know, like this is a mm -hmm. special time that the Lord's given you to really drill down, so as much as you can, soak mm -hmm. it up. But the other big thing that you're, I didn't feel prepared for, uh, in a sense, and I'm not, I think this is the craft of just being a pastor is developing communication skills, hmm. learning how to develop empathic listening. You know, wh what's the subtext behind what somebody's saying? Mm -hmm. Learning how to say hard things to people in a way that, uh, you know, prayerfully and gently you hope they could be received. Um, being just knowing, and th this is this is right wisdom principle. This isn't like the seminary can't teach you this. Mm -hmm. 
but this is them giving you kind of the tools, but you need to learn how to put your hand on the actual wrench. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anybody, I mean, we've met, we've, you don't even have to be a pastor to know this, you know, you have uh cage stage guys who, who th- think they have the right tool. Sometimes they're using a hammer when they should be using a wrench, but sometimes I think I'm using a wrench and I, well, maybe I shouldn't be using a vice grip on this, but it needs a lineman wrench, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was actually at hunter safety course with uh, my 11 year old last week and they were talking about different kind of stages of hunters, right? And I'm sure like, I'm, I'm sure your PETA listeners are going to turn off at this point, but uh, <laughs> if, uh, right, when when you first become a hunter, you're like in the shooting stage, you know, you're just so excited. You just want to shoot at everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next stage is like the trophy stage, you know, you, you and I would say the cage stage is kind of, of Calvinism and of, of theological nerds is kind of in these first two categories. The next is like the, the limit stage, right? You just want to shoot as much as you possibly can. And you want to, you want to fill as many tags as possible. But then there's, I feel like I'm moving into the stage where it's in hunting, it's uh trophy hunting uh, where, where it's no longer like about just shooting, but you'll purposely wait for the right animal yeah. in the right yeah. situation to take the clean, good shot, and and to to bag the right uh, fill the right tag um and then there's one more past that i forget what they call it but it's ba- it's basically like where you become more and more proficient with the tools themselves and i'm going to use th- you know this much charge and i'm going to use this weight bullet because i think at this distance it's going to you know and so you really refine that technique i'm not sure i'm there yet as a pastor you know with i'm i'm still trying to even figure out what are the right issues to go after what are the right things to do uh and then the last is you know uh the sportsman (laughs) and that that's what i would call you know like bill roberts you know the guy who's been there done that he's lived it he's able to teach me he's able to tell me hey i know you're zealous about this but you need to put that on the back burner right this is what you need you might want to think about um so i used to call myself a baby pastor and one of my former ruling elders said i think you're more like a toddler pastor Right, you've just started to learn how to use the toys, but you can make a mess too. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that, yeah, that 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 makes sense. I got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, just coming in with a sense of humility, right? Like, I don't have all the answers, and that that's one of the things, right? I, we're we're taught at seminary, right? I'm competent to counsel. Well, that's true, but at the same time, when there's when there's someone that I'm dealing with who has real suicidal ideologies. I need to also be able to know where to point them and, and say, there's something here that's that's literally life and death, and I need to be able to point them to someone. Um, there's situations where I need to trust the wisdom of my ruling elders uh, that, you know, I, I think we should you know charge forward with, uh, you know, this certain church discipline. And they're like, you know what, why don't we wait? Let's go talk to them a few more times in person, you know, in person, informally, you know, try to counsel them through this first before you know, we, we've give them a formal admonition and, you know, nine out of 10 times are right. Mm-hmm. And so being able to take that humility pill and, you know, I might know the theory, mm-hmm. but, uh, being able to listen. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so those skills, even like in preaching, like this is, this is a big thing even with preaching. How do you become a better preacher? You preach and you listen. Mm-hmm. And I think the listening part is actually a huge part, right? Listening to the feedback reviewing your own sermons, possibly listening to the feedback that the people give you, mm-hmm. uh, taking those things to heart, not saying you are a slave to the congregation and you just listen to every single thing somebody complains about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause sometimes people just wake up mad, you know, 
<laughs> or they just don't like what you said, but you're like, well, that's what the Bible said. And you're like, yeah, okay. yeah. One of the biggest things is, yes, you have a prophetic voice as a pastor. Yes, you have a counselor voice as a pastor, but you need to have the shepherd's ear. So uh, I, I think that would be like the biggest thing, you know? And so I would, I would really encourage guys at seminary, get with a, get with a pastor that's really going to show you what it is to be a shepherd. Right. And I, I had this weird blessing. I had a three year long internship at Eastvale. And so being in session meetings and uh, for three years being allowed to preach that often and hearing my, you know, I'll never forget one of my elders uh, came up and I had used, I said, the eschatological telos of this passage. <laughs> <laughs> and and good old Jim Robb came up to me afterwards and he said, the eschatawa? <laughs> if you're going to use big words, you better tell me what you mean, son. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, and he's right. You know, like, yeah. great. I made myself look smart by being an idiot. Mm. You know, like that, that wasn't helpful mm. to anyone. Mm. Um, and so being, again, just being, being humble about it. Uh, mm. And, you know, maybe someday, uh, you know, with much study and prayer and listening and maybe the someday uh, they'll say, you know, that guy was wise, but right now I still need to listen. I still need to learn sure. uh, even while I'm practicing. Sure. No, I uh, thank you for that. That's actually you answered it better than I uh, I even could have expected. I think you nailed exactly what in my blabbing I was looking for. Um, one one practical thing, how um, how how would you counsel guys to go about looking for these pastoral mentors and then reaching out to them? And and honestly, I'm asking that even somewhat for myself because I've I look at guys and I'm like, man, that guy's so busy. You know, yep. what, he, he got time to talk to me for a year, but I was actually somewhat, it was interesting, convicted in a funny way. Lately, I was reading, um, I was reading something. It was an article on Steve Jobs it mm. came across the news and it was talking about a thing that separates successful people from unsuccessful. And like the one thing he stated was successful people will ask, Yep. you know, like when he was young, <laughs> he would just call up tech people and be like, Hey, could you send me the schematics on or like, you know? And, and these yep. people were so thrown off that like a 12 year old would call them and ask them, oh, sure, we'll send it to you. You know, yep. or like, why, wh why does one guy get a promotion and another guy doesn't? Well, it may just be the one guy asked. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so I kind of in my own head started like thinking about that, like, well, you know, that's true. Like, you know, all, all the guys can say is no, right. Or, you know, I don't have mm -hmm. the time or whatever, but yeah. whoop de do. Um, so, so what counsel would you give guys as far as picking a mentor I think you touched on that some, but maybe a little more on, on who to go for and then the actual going for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Look at I, like Wade Mann. I had never met Wade Mann in my life, hmm. but I knew he had a reputation of evangelism and discipleship. Hmm. Right. And so part of it is just listening to other people's stories about different pastors. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and you'll kind of start seeing threads of, oh, okay. It seems like the Lord has gifted this person in such and such an area. And so I just emailed Wade Mann out of the blue and I was like, hey, you want to be my mentor? <laughs> and, you know, Wade's a discipler. So he was like, yeah, mm -hmm. let's do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, um, you know, Bill Roberts, uh, I had actually candidated at Terre Haute. Um, and, you know, I, I knew that he was really gifted with revitalization and evangelism and things like this. And so I was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, here's a guy who's been there, done that. So hurt his reputation and. Uh, just asked him, you know, hey, would you be willing to? And I'll be honest, there are other guys. I'm not going to throw their names out because uh, I don't want to, you know, but there are guys, probably a good handful of them that I asked. And they're like, no, 
you know, I got this going on with my wife right now. I don't have time. Mm. I'm not going to take that personally. You know, mm-hmm. I understand that I'm asking for a gift, mm-hmm. right? If, if they're willing to, great. And I mean, it's, to my chagrin and it's to my stupidity, I haven't followed, I haven't kept up on a lot of these relationships. Um, and that's just actually all of this stopped basically when COVID uh, mm-hmm. hit the fan. And it was just like, oh man, this is, I could barely keep my head above water with anything. Um, but even through that, like Bill Roberts will still email me. Actually, I have an email. I need to respond to him. <laughs> uh, and then Ken Smith is another one that was very gracious. Uh, and he, he'll he just kind of call or email me every once in a while and be like, hey, I've been praying for you. How are things going? And so these guys, you know, if if they have the heart of a mentor, you know, they they follow up. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's my fault. Right. I'm, I'm just more busy now than I was in my first couple of years. Uh, but uh I still reach out at family camp. I was <laughs> I picked, I think a half dozen guys brains. Cause they can't get away from you. If you're sitting at a picnic table. Right. Right <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I came up yeah. to, uh, 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 to Bruce and I was like, uh, Hey, can I have lunch, dinner with you tonight? I want to talk to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. nice. Nice. And he didn't know nice. what I was going to talk to him about, but I had, you know, I had questions. So mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, very good. I appreciate uh, that uh, <clears throat> wisdom that you've given us, even as just saying, ask questions, have humility. Um, so I appreciate that. I'll, I'll say one more thing. I think this is kind of maybe beating a dead horse, but uh, your illustration of hunting kind of tells me that you actually do have the crown of rule ministry because uh, Kyle Borg made fun of me for using the term uh, cross-pollinate. And if someone was from a rural area, they wouldn't uh, make fun of that term. So again, you get you get the crown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking at our uh, next question here, you know, Joe had mentioned that uh, you are kind of a seminary or a uh, relatively recent seminary grad. When when did you graduate again? 2018. Okay. So you, you graduated with Joel Hart, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. we graduated cool. together. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, so one of the things that uh, we have as uh, young pastors um, is we kind of we're growing up with social media. So we kind of remember the age of uh, Zanga and uh, MySpace. Tom was my friend, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's all kinds of things. Instagram, uh, Twitter, which I guess is called X now, and, and a whole host of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you as a pastor, and maybe how would you um, counsel, you know, guys like Joe and myself and other guys who are going into ministry, how to interact on social media, how to use social media? I mean, Joe and I, neither one of us have social media, though. I mean, podcasting is kind of a form of that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, certainly. But uh, yeah, that's the gist of the question. What are the do's and don'ts, perhaps, of uh, social media use? Yeah. Do you mind if I kind of broaden that out to no, uh, just digital use? Please do. Yeah. And, and okay. I, yeah, I do want to say, like, you have the uh, um, the devotions and coffee. So if you could tell us about that a little bit as you kind of answer okay. that question. Yeah. So my wife and I, when we were at seminary and when I was in grad school uh, north of Chicago, um, we ran a photography business. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's there's no way in in the digital age to run a f- photography business without actually being on social, right? Mm-hmm. So, we were just there all the time, uh, whether it was Instagram or Facebook. Um, you know, I uh, there's there's other platforms. You know, that I, I was always trying to find for that where were the most people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I was looking. So, like Twitter, uh, I didn't really ever get. A, a ton into Twitter um, just because like that's not where I needed it to be. Uh, but one of the 
huge things. Uh, this is not a book that I'm going to recommend as like, oh, good Christian literature, right? Mm. Uh, but there's a guy named uh, Gary Vanderchuk, and he uh, he asks a question, and this is like where business intersects with some of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, always start with a relentless why. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? Right. So many guys they jump on uh, their iPhone or their Droid, you know, and they and they're 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 gonna, oh, I'm gonna start a podcast. Oh, I'm gonna start. Uh, we need a website, or mm-hmm. oh, we need to we need to create a Facebook page, or we need to do you, know, and and just pushing out a whole bunch of busyness, but not actually asking why am I doing this? Right? What purpose is this fulfilling for the kingdom? Um, and so my like during during COVID, I mean, this was a big thing, right? Uh, we had our live stream up and going uh, for you know a year, year and a half before COVID ever became a thing. Um, but we did that for our shut-ins. Mm-hmm. Our why was not for we at that point we had a number of people in the nursing homes and a few people who were already uh, shut in because of different physical ailments. And so we were able to get them where just, you know, one or two clicks with their remote or on their computer every Sunday morning, they could still participate in the life of the congregation. And so our why was we want the members of the church who aren't able to come and be with the congregation to still have that connection. Um, And so the deacons, I mean, the threshold was less for us to get into things because, uh, you know, again, we ran a photography business, so I already had 90% of the gear. It wasn't a big Mm -hmm. deal for us. Uh, But uh, when COVID happened, a whole bunch of people were emailing me, hey, how do we set this up? What do we do? And I just kind of have to stop them. Like, Well, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Right. Because the system I recommend to you is going to be based upon your objectives. Right. And if it's just to get through. So have somebody put up an iPhone on a pew, you know, that Mm -hmm. that's going to be perfectly fine. If that's all you're trying to accomplish, right. That's fine. Um, It goes with gear too, right. People get all crazy about how much equipment they buy and, you know, all this stuff. And it's kind of like, why, or what, what, what problem are you trying to solve? And is that a problem worth solving? Um, And so that, that why mentality carries into carries into every aspect of the ministry here, but especially with digital, because it can be such a time suck, such a resource suck mm-hmm. um, that, I mean, there, I mean, I was talking to an IT guy of a, a kind of a mega church and he's, he was talking about how crazy expensive their system is. And they have to have three people who, who man it during worship. And, and it's kind of like, well, why are we doing this? Right. I'm not, I don't want anybody to have to do, anything during worship so if the levels are a little bit off the levels are a little bit off we'll f- we'll figure out the best workaround because this cannot become you know a distraction to the corporate worship of god and so i mean that's uh so th- this why is always kind of like okay why are we doing this how's it how's it working uh and so like our website the only reason why we have a website is it's our digital front door right? our website mm-hmm. is not for our members our members know every single thing on that website and way better than the website, but the website isn't written for even, you know, people in your congregation. If they went there, they'd be like, man, that's a really simple website. Like there's, there's just like, like it doesn't get into like really deep theology and stuff like that because well, it wasn't written for that, right? The copy was written with the why in mind. You know, I, if there's somebody who doesn't know anything about the church period, nothing about reformed, 
nothing. Even even why we call our name what we do online, Sharon RP Church instead of Sharon Reformed Presbyterian Church, isn't because I'm ashamed of the Reformed or Presbyterian. But the, in our community, the second you use Presbyterian, people think you're the liberal PCUSA. Mm-hmm. And so we're not going to change our name, but we have to, you know, take away that you know initial. They don't even know what the RP stands for. But then in the website, you know, explain what is reformed, what is Presbyterian in a way that people who have no clue what what any of this is can can grasp it for the first time. Be like, you know, I might want to learn more about that. And so that's our why for the website. You know, a lot. Of, and this is just me speaking to a whole bunch of people in the RP church who might be thinking about their websites and they they have great websites. I'm not criticizing, but there's uh, when we go on vacation and we we our family tries to go to all the different national parks if i can't find a website that actually says anything about what your church is or if it's not on google maps i'm not coming to see you mm-hmm. right because uh, i'm not going to subject my children to something like even if it's a, a napark church there are there are churches where like you know uh, i'm not going to call out any specific denominations but if i can't figure out kind of what the theological bent of certain uh, napark churches is i'm kind of like well why don't we just go to that Reformed Baptist church instead? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so, giving enough of the character and flavor of the church so that you, so I guess that's what I'm saying is why, right? Why do we have different websites on the church? Why do we have different pages? Uh, why, why are we on social? Does your church even need to be on social media? Maybe, maybe not, right? Because if if social media isn't serving a purpose and it's just nothing but a distraction and a, and a time suck, uh, and so. Lots of people spend all this time on social and a lot of money, but don't actually know why they're doing it. So like social for us has two purposes. It's it's really one purpose, uh, but it's discipleship. Social media for us is is a desire to have people, right? It's, it's where people are. And so if I know that the congregation is there digitally, I want to be able to disciple them there digitally. So uh, during COVID, Hughes Oliphant Old, I was reading uh, an article by him in the Confessional Presbyterian when he was talking about uh, just kind of daily life during the Reformation, what worship looked like. And there was every day there was there was worship. Right? And we don't don't think like, you know, full on worship services, prayer and a basic exposition of a passage. And so I started thinking, I was like, man, I don't think anybody's going to drive three miles down the gravel road if I did this at 5.30 a.m. every day. You know? mm-hmm. Like, that's unrealistic. But I bet I could do it online. And so I started doing it for the members of our church. right? So on our website, right, you can go to resources and then coffee and devotions. And then uh, it used to be seven days a week, but that just kind of, kind of got unmanageable. So I do it four to five times a week now. Uh and we just work through a small chunk of the Bible every day, you know, ask the three ABC questions, A, what's this about? B, what's the best verse to summarize this passage? And C, what are we called to do? What's the covenant truth of this? How does this point us to Christ? You know, and so there's this, this pattern. My hope is that as people in the congregation listen, that they're just being slowly discipled through the scriptures, right? Um, and so... Uh, you know, it's great when other people say, oh, yeah, I watched your coffee and devotions and they're from other congregations. I'm like, well, that's a nice byproduct, but you're not actually the target audience. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like yeah. 
uh, people in our congregation who who have signed up for it and asked get a text message every morning when that at 6:30 a.m. or when it goes live. Sometimes I'm late, uh, and so like there's school teachers that they'll watch it. So I wake up at 4:30, and that's the first thing I do in the mornings is I get coffee and devotions done. So that way the school teachers can uh, school teachers and farmers before they get working. Mm-hmm. They can be in God's word. And and let's face it again, right? As pastors, we want people to be in God's word and we can harp on them from the pulpit. You should read your Bible. You should read your Bible. You should read your Bible. But that's right. I I could either complain about people's reading habits or I could do something to help shepherd them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so this was, that, that was that intent, right? Is, is the why, why are we doing this? So the same read, there's a podcast that a guy in the congregation I do, uh, Aaron and I were talking about it. Uh, the student podcast where we just go through uh, R. Kent Hughes' books, uh, book, The Disciplines of a Godly Man. And my point with that was, well, if he and I are already having these conversations and we kind of have, we talk through the book and then we sign off, whatever, and then he and I talk more personally and we pray together. Um, but other men and families in the church can listen to that and be discipled also. And so it's it's our why for social media is always how can we disciple the people better? So like even sermon recaps on Wednesday. Sermon recaps is because on Micah was an awesome preacher. You know, I loved listening to Micah preach. I mean, he was he was a wonderful expositor of God's word. But I am an ignorant, forgetful fool. And on Wednesday, that sermon was gone. Right? I would have to search way deep in the archives and have plenty of coffee before I could remember. Mm-hmm. And so my whole thought was, if I could just get to the meat and potatoes of that sermon in one to three minutes on a Wednesday and just remind people of what we had spent time, you know, considering on Sunday, then it's another, you know, point of, uh, you know, it's just a pedagogical point, right? If you review something, it will stick longer. And so I guess that's what I'm saying, right? Everything has to be driven by that why why do we put up prayer points? Well, I actually want people to pray for persecuted countries. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we tell people, hey, here the, here's the country we're going to pray for. You know, Pray for them on your own. And then on Sunday during worship, we're praying for them together. Um, and so just thinking through, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You know, If it's quotes from different authors, I want people to know who are good authors, what are good books. You know? um, and if I could just put up a little quote from that book, it might pique their interest for like, Oh, I want to, I want to read Owen. Mm-hmm. Oh I, yeah. Maybe I should read Augustine's confessions. Maybe, you know, and, and so they just try to get them thinking and move in that direction. And so social for me is the why is discipleship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other side of it is, uh, and this is a byproduct, right? There's, there's plenty of good byproducts, right? Other people in the RP church are blessed by it sometimes. That's cool. Um, but there's also the byproduct of, you know, uh, those especially one minute little sermon recaps uh, are sound biteable enough that people in the community will actually listen to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's been times where people in the church will be like, wow, you know, such and such person said they heard that. Uh, I don't think they've ever listened to a sermon in their life. <laughs> and you're like, well, that's cool. <laughs> you know, the Lord shoved it in their front door. You know, thank you, Mark Zuckerberg, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I guess that's just my biggest like, why. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing Because the more you narrow in on the purpose of what you're doing, then when other ideas come, you can kind of ask yourself, does this fit with why I'm doing it? If it doesn't, let it go. Mm-hmm. Don't feel bad, right? I don't, you know, your guys' podcast, 
I don't need to emulate something like this. That's your why. This is great. I love it. <laughs> I get to soak up all the wisdom from these other pastors. Ooh. I think I gave you like 64,000 other names to interview before mine. Because <laughs> uh, I want to hear from them, right? Mm. You guys have a good why. But mm. I just see a whole bunch of just junk stuff on social that just just keep going. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you giving us that eschatological telos of the pastor's <laughs> social media you. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you have any uh, follow up? Yeah, that? yeah. Um, so, if I was tracking with you right, um, and this is all for my own curiosity as well, I think I've told you in personal conversations before. People in our con- congregation have been been blessed by things like your coffee and devotions, and and desire something along those lines uh, here as well. And we recently uh, said that we're going to start a Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, from eight to nine, and it's going to be online, and it's for that reason, so parents can get the kids to bed, open up the computer, hop on, shut the computer, and be at home, and it's going to actually focus not only on the content, but a method of Bible study, so trying to teach our people mm-hmm. how, not, how, how to how to discern what God's Word says also for themselves, but anyways, so so I've been trying to apply some of the things that I've I've talked with you briefly in conversations. But is your is your midweek sermon recaps for one is that something that you said you do and two is that is that a distinct thing from your coffee and devotions or is it a part of? Yeah, no, that's a distinct thing. So uh, we actually have a uh, administrative assistant who just kind of she listens through the sermon. She kind of finds she stitches together what she thinks is kind of a good summary of the sermon. Uh, you know, puts captions on it and puts it up. So. Okay. Okay. And normally, cool. that's so, on like Wednesday afternoons or something like that. She does that. Gotcha. So the only so so that's a, a distinct thing, and 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 then you you do your coffee and devotions, and you do another distinct podcast though with a friend of yours working through one of those books, right? Yep. Cool. Um. And so I guess uh, just a, a curiosity question, and I think this would help me and other people. What what does the preparation, briefly, and however you want to take it. What does the preparation specifically for like the coffee and devotions uh, look like for you? Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're not doing a full on sermon, right? So uh, right. getting again at those ABCs, I know that I'm going to be talking about them. So mm-hmm. get get it firmed up in my mind. What is this about? What's the best verse to summarize this? What am I called to do? Where, what's the where's Christ in this passage? Um and so uh, normally, <laughs> you know, there's been a debate amongst RP pastors about the use of study Bibles. Let's face it. Yeah. If you're going to do this, you got to be able to get in a passage, get to the heart of the passage and and be able to move. Um, and so I have uh, seven different study Bibles and most of them overlap. And that's great because that means that's not controversial stuff. You know, so if it's kind of like, okay, 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 great. This is, this is good. And then I typically pick the best commentary for that. And I'll read if, if there's something that I still have questions about and the study notes didn't get it, or uh, just kind of my systematic theology that like stuff that you already know, uh, then I'll go to a commentary and I'll try to figure out those types of things. Um, But again, I don't have all day to do this. So, um, you know, pick the best commentary that you know is going to give you the answers that you're looking for most readily. Um, and so for the 4.30 a.m. wake up, uh, stumble to the coffee pot, start reading, uh, try to record from 5 to 5.30, and then I upload it at 5.30. So, uh, yeah, sometimes that that can shift. Sometimes it's more like we're starting to study at 5 instead of 5.30, uh, depending on how late I stayed up. So, 
So about a half hour of study and then about a half hour of recording or so. Or a window to record. Yeah, a window. Sometimes it's sometimes it's fifteen minutes of study. Sometimes it's uh, you know an hour and a half of study, and it's like, but it only right. took ten minutes to record. Um, I I like when my kids like to get involved. They're not often awake at that hour in the morning. Thank God. Um, but uh, <laughs> but especially if I'm recording it later in the day, uh, then I will. Uh, I like having the kids in there because I then I can go through it more um, inductively and just ask mm-hmm. them questions similar to what we do in family worship. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, this is, this is right. I'm not giving a full on sermon this, and, and this isn't the first time I've read any of these passages either, right? As pastors, I hope most guys, by the time they've left seminary, have read through the Bible multiple times. You've gone through old Testament classes. You, you, you know, these things, but now you're just trying to say, okay, but just this passage, right? I'm just doing pericope by pericope this section. What's this about? How do I communicate this clearly and effectively? And I don't do that all the time. Right. I, I'm sure that there are days that it's a total dud, but that's okay. There's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Right? No, that's, that's great. That's helpful. That's helpful and encouraging in all kinds of ways. Um, yeah. So tying into kind of the morning, the coffee and devotions and just the ministry of the word there, we, we like to ask everybody, uh, we hold a high view of the preaching of God's word. Um, and, so we ask all of our guests, and so we'll ask you, uh, what is what is Brian Schneider's own uh, philosophy of preaching um, in the sense of, you know, we had David Whitlaw on recently, and he, he distinguishes uh, between theology of ministry and philosophy of ministry, though they're obviously rated and related and philosophies rooted in theology. But assuming we all have a very similar theology of preaching uh as as summarized in our standards um what how do you how do you go about applying that yourself what does what does your own philosophy of preaching look like in the sense of you know how do you preach and and why do you preach the way that you do what are what are you seeking to accomplish in a sermon um and and things along those lines that's a good question uh you know i'm definitely uh more of a rural pastor than Kyle, but Kyle gave my charge uh, at, at my ordination. Uh, and the charge that he gave me has kind of become the, you know, this is the goal I'm shooting for. Um, preach the glories of Jesus Christ with clarity. Mm-hmm. Preach. Don't lecture. Though there's a, there's, there's a teaching aspect, but I'm not up there just trying to tickle people's intellect. Right? Mm-hmm. Preach. Uh, declare, cry out, proclaim, herald God's word. Uh, pro, uh, so preach the glories, you know, preach the magnificence, the weightiness, the holiness of God, especially seen in Jesus Christ. You know, and so uh, I, I want to make Jesus Christ and Him crucified known. Uh, I want to bring people, you know, Spurgeon's beeline to the cross. You know, I want to bring people to Christ. Um, this has become especially uh, pressing on my heart as I think about preaching evangelistically. We have a number of people in our church uh, who are not Christians, have just begun uh, to uh, kind of start on this walk. I can't assume their level of knowledge of anything. Mm-hmm. So I need to be able to bring things down to a level at which somebody who has never read the Bible is able to know what was the point and how did this point me to Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's that's the last part is preaching with clarity. Mm-hmm. So trying to 
uh, and this is where you know Pruto, uh, Pruto's one point sermon, uh, or uh, I really like Brian Chapel's uh, presentation of preaching as well. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and this idea that I need to be especially clear with what is the take home truth for these people. Uh, that, that's from another past, uh, another preaching book, but uh, a homiletical point would work fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what is what is the point? Right? When when people go home, what are they going to remember? Uh, and being relentless about trying to pursue and i guess this is the whole a part a part and c part of the of the bible studies i do in coffee and devotions right what are you walking away from this pericope what is this about and how does this point me to christ um and so um because of that it's kind of yeah it's exegetical but it's also expository right I, mm-hmm. I, and this the structure looks different it might be a compare and contrast sermon it might if the text is calling for that uh, it might be uh, more of an illustrative sermon, if again the text calls for that. Um, I try not to let illustrations drive. Uh, I'm also not one of these guys who uh, is really. Well, there's one lady in the congregation. She said, "I didn't know there were any charismatics in the RP church until I saw you preach." <laughs> but I don't know how I'm supposed to take that. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so I'm, but I try not to use too much humor in the sermon. Um, but there are points, you know, to lighten, you know, bring up the, bring it up a little bit. If I've been too, too deep, um, Ken Smith, one of his points in my first preaching exam, you know, I preached my heart out on, uh, Jesus calming the water, you know, uh, what type of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him. And, you know, I, I mean, I was pushing it hard on the deity of the power of Christ. I mean, it was meant to be a breathless type sermon. And he said, you know, that was a really good sermon. But God gave you a smile. You should use it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so, literally, for the first two years of my of my preaching here, a little a little thing on the pulpit that said, uh, "Preach Jesus, slow down, smile." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife told me, "You look like you're just scolding us the whole time, Brian." <laughs> Brian, <laughs> I have almost the exact same thing, uh, like or uh, uh, post-it notes on the pulpit here. Minus the smile part, because my problem is uh, I, I use too much humor, I think. Uh, I think I'm better at it now than I was in seminary. Um, but uh, we're going through Acts right now, and we're mm-hmm. finishing up chapter 9, talking about uh, Dorcas. I'm like, how am I How am I not supposed to make fun of the name Dorcas? <laughs> <laughs> well, so so I'll, do, I'll do it now and get it out of my system. Right. There, there's a dear lady in our sister congregation, Washington RP, uh, whose name is Dorcas. Mm-hmm. And she, mm-hmm. she reminds me every time I spell it incorrectly. She said, Brian, it's in the Bible. <laughs> uh, nice. Does she also know that... by Tabitha? <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's helpful. That's helpful. Uh, good stuff. Good reminders. What another thing we like asking guys related to this is um, what what does your preparation look like um, week in and week out? How are you how are you getting to that that homiletical outline or point that you're that you may be driving at? Uh, how are you developing from the you know the time you sit down to the time it is uh, pulpit ready? Yeah, let me run through this quick, right? So sure. uh, Tuesday, I uh, I translate the text. If it's an epistle, then I'll diagram the text out. Um, if it's uh, and so pray, translate, diagram if I need to. Um, I just try to relentlessly ask questions. I remember listening to uh, John MacArthur, old J Mac, was saying, you know, he just relentlessly asks questions of the text. Don't assume mm-hmm. anything. 
just ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Um, and at that point, I go to research, uh, you know, with those questions in mind, mm-hmm. again, going quickly to commentaries and trying to figure out answers to those texts, I, questions. I don't need to read every single commentary, right? I am a, man, I am a painfully slow reader. Uh, and so I need to be able to just, I can't, I can't, some guys are blessed, right? They're able to read eight commentaries on every passage. And, and, and I'm like, man, it would take me eight weeks to do all that. Like there's, I can't do it. Um, and so if I can get those questions answered, then I, okay, I don't need to pick up the next commentary. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Right. My questions were answered. You know, God's word is, uh, you know, is it's clear, right. We believe mm-hmm. in the perspicuity of scripture. So mm-hmm. that's fine. Right. That's sure. okay. That That's good. Right. I got the, I got the main point. I understand what's going on. Uh, I, and though, so I will uh, then uh, try to purposely pick up a uh, commentary that will give me historical context behind it. Um, so uh, try to do that. that um you know, doing again grammatical, historical; those parts are first. But then, uh, one of the things I like to do is in Logos, uh, you can go to passage guide, type in the passage you're looking for, uh, and I'm able to go down towards the bottom of it, and they'll actually have a systematics, confession, uh, and patristics part. Mm-hmm. And so, I like to just see is this passage quoted in any of our standards? You know, if it is, that's a helpful thing to take note of. Um, if it's uh, if it's mentioned in systematics, sometimes that will key me into oh, there's there might be a heresy that people have been using this that I'm, I'm missing here. You know, so that's sometimes helpful. This is where logos indexing is really helpful, you know, because then I'm not going to the back of an index of all my systematics and finding it. I used to do that, uh, and then it was like oh no, this is this is easier. Uh, and then patristics, right? I like to just read through some of the church fathers uh, and just see is this some type of novel interpretation, right? Or is does this actually have some historical grounding? Um, and so that's that's just helpful for me to know, like, okay, am I <laughs> right? Am I in the stream of historic Christianity or am I off the grid somewhere? Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, just do the whole things that Dr. York says, you know, uh, get down to a subject, get it down to a, a, a exegetical point, exegetically outline the passage. Um, and then at that point, uh, typically I'll walk away so all that happens mm-hmm. like Thursday, Friday, all that kind of background work, Tuesday through Thursday, sometimes into Friday. Uh, and then I spend the next day and a half or day just pleading with God, right? What's what's the burden of this text? Why is this in the Bible, right? Okay, I, I, I understand the historical, I understand the grammatical, I understand like the history of interpretation, you know, maybe pitfalls. But God, why do you want me to preach this passage to your people today? And this is where Brian Chappell's uh, fallen condition focus comes in, right? How, where's the bridge of the gap? Where are the people in the pews living their lives today that either because of their depravity screams against this text or because of their fallen, living in this fallen state, they're, they're experiencing this text in a way that God's word can speak into uh, Michael was really, really good at this. Uh, he would always say, you know, God is calling you today too. And I'll often use that phrase, uh, mm-hmm. not because I'm a slave to Micah's uh, homiletic, but just because I sat under it for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it kind of rings in my ears. Um, and so, um, yeah, so th- so then it's not unrare for me on Saturday or even Sunday morning. Uh, that's when I actually 
you know, I've, I've done all my homework, but now, now I outline the actual sermon itself. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking and working through it. The actual writing part is uh, once it's there, once I get the burden of the text, once I can firmly say what I think the exegetical point is and the homiletical point, then the, the sermon writing actually seems to come easy. So, mm-hmm. but there's often, <laughs> then, then I'll tell my wife before I take a shower before a church, I say, you need to pray for me because this is going to be junk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that happens. At least those <laughs> thoughts creep into the mind. What um so I mean, I it sounds like maybe you take an outline into the pulpit or do you take anything or I didn't hear much time in there for like a probably cranking out a full manuscript and rolling Ooh. that in. No, no, no. Uh if I read a manuscript, I'm a robot. Mm, sure. Right? I I I read to myself painstakingly slow and I read to others like a robot. It's not good. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, it's it's uh, it's a homiletical outline. I mean, I don't I don't need a lot because right? I've I've got the I've got the info here. Sure. But I just need to make sure I stay on track with how sure. I'm delivering it. Um, I wish I could use less notes. Uh, I I did that when I was preaching outside during COVID. I'd put on a three by five note card and mm. um, you know just front and back, or I'd try preaching without notes. And uh, again, listening to people. Um, Carl Truman said the most dangerous thing for a pastor is for his wife to drink the juice. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, my husband is just great. His preaching is great. That is not my wife. Yeah. Olivia, <laughs> Olivia loves me enough to be honest. You know, every Sunday after church, I ask her for uh for a thumbs up, thumbs down. And it's it's pretty rare. She's like, meh. <laughs> and and it was pretty regular when I was trying to preach without notes or too mm-hmm. few notes that she was like, you're just if you so for me there's just just this balance in here right if if i have too many notes i'm i actually things take a long time i can't feel out the the congregation i don't move very well and if i have too few notes then i get on my hobby horses and i don't i don't stay direct on that hp so uh so yeah so uh i i use this thing it's a remarkable uh tablet ah, joseph mm-hmm. Friedley put me onto it um and so maybe like three pages worth of notes, um, hmm. large enough that I could just glance down mm-hmm. uh, and see where I'm going. I wish I still didn't look at it as much as I do, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's where I'm at. What are you guys uh, currently preaching through? We're in Mark right now, Mark okay. chapter 11. So uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Nice. Nice. Well, this the next question. Um, I think we're planning on asking most of our guys <clears throat> because you know, the why of the podcast, there's multiple whys we're doing this. One of them is to, uh, introduce uh, the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and the churches of the RPCNA. Um, so what are some ways that our listeners might be able to pray for uh, Sharon RP, maybe, you know, two or three different things that uh, you'd be comfortable with sharing um, how our listeners can be praying for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to give you four because okay. I'm a rule breaker. All right. Uh, well, so you... you know, we're pastors, so we're allowed to break <laughs> okay. the rules when it comes to public okay. speaking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is where everybody tunes out because I know I'm running long winded here. Uh, we're thankful that the Lord has allowed us to elect a ruling elder. So uh, about a year and a half ago, we elected uh, a, a ruling elder and the, the congregation has grown to such a size that we needed another ruling elder. So thank God for that. Um, and the man accepted. Um, but he's currently a student at the University of Iowa. And so he's looking for a job. Uh, so so uh, if we can get the whole body of Christ to start praying that the Lord will give him a job in Southeast Iowa so he can mm-hmm. stay here. He's accepted the call to be to be a ruling elder uh, but uh you know 
he's kind of like, but I need to actually be able to feed my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so we're, we're just rejoicing for that. We have an election uh, coming up here also for two more deacons. And so, so just prayer for, for the offices to be filled. Uh, we're thankful for the men who are serving and have served and all they're doing. Um, and so, uh, the Lord is building his church here. We're thankful for that. Uh, but that, with that also comes uh, two other problems that are un- related, not problems, but just challenges. Uh, the congregation has grown from, like I said, uh, average attendance was about 30 when we got here. Uh, average attendance is somewhere between 80 and 90 now. Um, and that's a blessing. Uh, but it also means that you know, if you sit in the front of the church, you might not know the people in the back of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're pleading with God for wisdom and how to do um, better shepherding and more church unity. So, um, you know, at, we have lunch downstairs down here every week and uh, I've been giving people a challenge. Go find someone you haven't sat with before. Just get to know people. And especially uh, when you have, like I said, the legacy members who have mm-hmm. been the core of this congregation for decades and now there's all sorts of new families trying to trying to bring down uh, walls and create friendships. And it's going to take time. Again, like I said, right, small community, commuter members, they don't know each other well. It's going to take years to form these friendships and bonds, but we're pleading that the Lord would, would let that happen. Um, thankful that uh, one of the comments we get from people is, oh, the congregation is very welcoming and loving. That's great. Um, but there's, uh, there's just this need in the church. Um, and so wisdom for the elders. Just how do we, uh, you know, we're even remapping our shepherding visits because there's kind of like geographical pockets and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how do we get these all done. It wasn't hard when there was only 15 families to go visit. Uh, now, each of us, we're only supposed to have, we try to keep it shepherding groups, five to seven elders or five to seven family units per elder. Uh, and right now, uh, the elder with the least amount has seven and mm-hmm. most of us have, have 10 or more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's just, trying to figure out how to shepherd biblically mm-hmm. well. So, yeah. Yeah. You got to learn how to change that oil. Right, Joseph? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I no, appreciate you uh, sharing those uh, prayer requests uh, for us. I, uh, we'll be praying for your uh, uh, elder elect. Um, I'm not sure that this podcast is going to reach the whole denomination, but at least it will, uh, Lord willing, reach some. Well, that's so, fine. Yeah. 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 All right, no, that's Joseph. good. Thank you for that. Yeah, so uh, last question. We always like to solve theological debates on this. All right, see uh, you later, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically the issue, the, the debate we're trying to solve over these next, well, you're the third guy. Uh, so so you and the next guy has to do with um, the question of the, the future of ethnic Israel. And mm-hmm. we're, we're wondering is... Uh, does Brian Schneider believe that there's going to be a future mass conversion of ethnic Jews or in Romans 11, do you see uh, all Israel as just the the total number of Jew and Gentiles in the church, or perhaps just the completed number of elect Jews calling or called uh, throughout uh, the church age, or is there, is there a future conversion of ethnic Jews uh, that the people of God should be looking forward to? What says Brian Schneider? Yeah, wouldn't that be awesome if all yes. the Jews came to Christ? Right? How how Paul longed mm-hmm. for them to come to know Christ. 
that'd be so cool, right? If, if miraculously by the Holy Spirit and his amazing power, he just redeemed all of them. Mm. That'd be so cool. It'd be no less of a miracle than if he saved two. Mm. Um, mm. But I think... Uh, in my humility and I'm willing to be corrected on this. I think it's, I think it's a, you know, even when you think about the 144,000, right? I think it's a, I think it's the fullness of the Jews. All those whom he has predestined, they'll come to him. Right. And so, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to say, I did hear David Whitlaw's interview, you know, uh, and uh, you know, we lived in, we lived in Chicago and uh, there were, there were lots of practicing Jewish people around us. Uh, and, uh, you know, we desperately need more missionaries in in Chicago and in New York who are willing to go and share the gospel with Jewish people. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Chaim Potok. Uh, if you've never read anything for, by Chaim Potok, you need to. It's, it's, his fiction stuff is awesome. Uh, and I just sit there and manned. We had a Jewish lady come to faith in Christ here at Sharon. Uh, she now lives in Texas. And I just think, man, it'd be so cool. Mm. It'd be so cool for all these Jewish people to come and know, you know, the most, one of my guys in the congregation, uh, he's a doctor in the area. And he says, uh, one of the most Jewish things to do is to believe in Jesus. Mm. You know, all those whom God has called to himself, they'll, they'll be saved. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be every single Jewish person. Not all Israel's Israel. So it's by faith. Is it possible? Man, I hope so. That'd be cool. But uh, right. humanly, no. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that at least prevents a unanimous sweep. Mm-hmm. We were we were heading we were mm-hmm. heading towards a sweep for a mass conversion, and now people, our listeners, will have something to to chew on. So that's good. I mean, um, those those are all views held by solid reformed men, and so uh, that those are the kinds of questions we like asking. Where you know there there are different views that solid men can have, and and with it with within the stream of reformed orthodoxy. So I'm actually I'm I'm somewhat happy we didn't have a, a clean sweep. People <laughs> people can have something to think through here. So, uh, cool. Thank you. Thank you for tossing in on that. Yeah, one of the things that we're running into, Joseph, is uh, when we first started this podcast, the mystery questions were actually a mystery. But now that uh, we're kind of putting the podcast out as we record them. You know, Brian's able to cheat a little bit. Huh? Uh, <laughs> if, 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 well, I mean, yeah, I'm not. I cheated. I listened on Tuesday as I was driving my son up to, to the doctors, and I was like, "Oh, look, a new podcast." Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, we uh, we appreciate you uh, giving us your time this afternoon to uh, uh, allow us to interview you, pick your uh, brain on uh, pastoral ministry. So, Brian, thank you so much. Appreciate. Thanks you. for having the. Thanks for having the messy toddler pastor come. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I have a little girl, she just turned two a few weeks ago. So we're in that messy toddler stage. Um, so not quite the same thing, but, uh, yeah, toddlers are great. I love toddlers. Everybody loves toddlers. The church needs toddlers, I think is, uh, what I'm trying to say. All right. Now that I've uh, stumbled down the stairs with my mouth, as I uh, often do, let's wrap up this podcast. This has been another episode of the blue banter podcast, uh, kind of a anthology of pastoral theology is what it's uh, kind of become. Our guest has been Brian Snyder, pastor of Sharon RP Church in Morning Sun, Iowa. If you like this episode, rate and review it on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use. You can share this episode on social media. If you have a question you'd like us to ask uh, the pastors that we interview or you'd like to suggest that we interview your pastor, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com and until next time whether you eat, drink, or banter do all to the glory of God. Thank you.